I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And I'm Gary Butterfield. And we love to watch. <laughs> we love to watch presents DMT, the movie. How's it going? Good. Thank you for joining us. It's already awkward. <laughs> no, um, no. <laughs> we, we people are listening. Listen, we we just talked in the green room and it was fine. This is a fake awkwardness. This is kayfabe. I'm just letting you guys know <laughs> it's fake awkward. And I wanted to knowing that we had a podcast professional, um, and we needed a green room. I painted. I didn't know what room in my house I was going to record it in. Painted mm-hmm. every room green. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife and I are getting divorced. If you uh, <laughs> if using uh, digital technology, you can make those rooms anything now. Oh, damn it. So, <laughs> Gary, where were you before I invested literally thousands of dollars in paint? Um, uh, I didn't get the same shade. It's oh, not good. <laughs> there you go. That's, that's the problem. <laughs> uh, but yeah, if uh, if you've never heard us before, we're, we love to watch. We're a movie podcast. We pick a theme. And every month, or in this case, uh, over two months, we uh, do movies around that theme. And uh, this summer, we are doing uh, Lovecraft interpretations or adaptations in our summer of Lovecraft. And we are joined by Gary Butterfield from DuckFeed.tv, uh, who will let him introduce himself. Besides being someone who uh, helped bring Peter and I together over some certain Lovecraftian uh, horror uh, proclivities. It was like uh, Nameless in Seattle, basically, is how I, exactly. I brought you together. So Nameless in Portland. <laughs> yeah. The, um, <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, but he also hosts his own Lovecraft show. So Gary, why don't you introduce yourself? Oh, thanks. Yeah, and, th- and thanks for having me. Um, yeah, uh, Gary Butterfield. I am, uh, you know, roughly not, not one half, but like roughly one half. One of the two uh, most prominent uh, people on the DuckFeed.tv podcast network, which is a podcast network that primarily covers video games, but has expanded to basically anything that we're really interested in. Um, and uh, you know, for for fans of this show, um, we recently started a show called Unfilmable. That is a non-all-inclusive attempt just to catalog uh, quite a few, not every, uh, bit of Lovecraftian uh, screen work. So that would include TV shows and movies, um, not video games uh, explicitly. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's something that, w- that we just started. And I'm, also, I'm a huge Lovecraft guy. I've been a very big fan um, for, I think like about 12 years is when I first got into him. Yeah. So I, I love uh, watching these movies that attempt to do the impossible, which is capture the spirit of that fiction on the screen. Will any of them do it? Some of them have. Most of them do not. <laughs> Most of them try really hard, and you can tell are very, very much love the material. Yeah. <laughs> just just can't quite uh, swing it. And that's kind of what we've been exploring uh, for the last uh, few weeks now, because it is interesting the way that different filmmakers try to, like, capture it. Like, From Beyond is a great example of one where Stuart Gordon was like, all right, I'm going to use basically – the first eight minutes of this movie to tell somewhat of the Lovecraft story. And then I'm just going to make essentially a sequel that takes it from there mm-hmm. or, um, 
or the resurrected, which is like, let's take this novel and turn it into like a, a gritty film noir or stuff like that. So it is interesting the way that people really try to throw a lot at it and to do very middling sometimes success. Yes. But, but it is, it is like something that I, and I think you and, and Peter are on the same boat, like keep going back to because even the like hope of like a glint of Cthulhu mythos in there is exciting. The the thing about I think the reason why it's cool is like one if you're aiming for something like this uh, even if you miss you might land somewhere really cool yeah right like I, if if I didn't like horror in general uh, I wouldn't care for these adaptations if I only cared for cosmic horror um, that's extremely hard to do in adaptation but I just like horror in general so you end up with something like the From Beyond adaptation or any of Stuart Gordon's Lovecraft stuff all of which I, I really love um, and you just end up at these kind of like gonzo horror movies mm-hmm. you know that that uh, adapt parts of it like these things this uh, iconography and kind of semiotics that I really love without actually being a very good adaptation <laughs> a lot of the time yeah yeah I, I i totally i totally agree and one of the interesting things about lovecraft is i see like this it, it not as a specific style with you know tentacles or you know fishy monster men or whatever like it's not just a specific aesthetic um i see it as like a challenge like can you talk about the cosmic and the and these these things that are just so much bigger than you that you can't even imagine it can you talk about those concepts in an interesting way and adapt it to an inherently visual medium Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And and one of the other things that's a challenge, right, that I'm sure you guys have run into, um, especially if you're if you're familiar with the, the original source material, is that like going back and reading um Lovecraft for preparation for for our show uh introduces the idea that like a bunch of these things are not stories at all. Yes. Uh they're they're it's just a scene, <laughs> it's just an idea. You know, so yeah. like from beyond, I love from beyond. Uh it is just an idea. Mm-hmm. Like there there's no arc, there's no character development. Nothing, nothing gets resolved. It's just an idea. And that's, I guess, I think that's the other, uh, challenge that, uh, adapters have, filmmakers have, is how to make this into a plot. How to make this have a satisfying arc and, and acts, you know, uh, match a structure or anything like that. And yeah. that, you know, oftentimes requires adding to it. And there's nothing from the original source material to add. So they have to bring a lot of themselves and their own kind of ideas to things with, again, mixed results, but it's a really interesting form of adaptation it's like um like an exquisite corpse kind of thing almost yeah it's like what angle do you want to look through this prism and what do i want to like reflect back and Stuart gordon you know we we were kind of joking we just finished an episode on dreams in the witch house and we were kind of kidding on the square a little bit that like either Stuart gordon really loves lovecraft Mm -hmm. and keeps adapting him or he thinks he's really bad (laughs) and just keeps he's like he has germs of ideas but he doesn't quite get Lovecraft because all of his like adaptations, unsurprisingly, are filtered through the Stuart Gordon like '80s low budget gore aesthetic. We were joking about Dagon, where Dagon is or the Shadows Over Innsmouth is a lot of like him discovering that there's fish people. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've seen Dagon recently, but the beginning uh, person they see from Innsmouth has like webbed hands. They and immediately points. There's a, the, the camera lingers on it. For yeah, like, an uncommonly long time. <laughs> it's like, just FYI, <laughs> these are fish people, and there's going to be some chases and stuff, but these are totally fish people, which is like the opposite a little bit of the story uh, of like what the story's trying to do. I think what he tries to do with that is like a almost like a dramatic irony, like we know, you know, because yeah. he, he knows we know the source material, right? Like, there's no hiding from us. 
that there are yeah. fish people, but the the main character in that still slowly realizes it, and he's just an idiot. Like you, yeah, you just got to have slowly. people be like really trusting morons uh, to be a protagonist of a horror movie. Um, they when last year uh, they showed uh, not of Dagon. I've seen Dagon at the film festival, but I've seen uh, from Beyond at the film festival. They debuted like a director's cut of it, and Stuart Gordon was there, um, so I got to watch him do like a Q and A about oh, it yeah and and the love is is really genuine like i know that like i'm not saying that to refute your point like here's a no. factual uh <laughs> you know actually i'm not trying to um actually but it is comes from a genuine place of love i think that he you know when anybody who is a fan of lovecraft and wants to adapt anything he does has to reckon with the fact that like uh he did not write good stories the context in which he was writing that, like, you know, he didn't like good story. Story is the part yeah. the emphasize right there, right? Like, uh, with the, the traditional structure, um, that he struggled in poverty, uh, his entire life, like did not have, yeah. you know, he hated his own work. Um, like Lovecraft is incredibly self-critical. Um, and you are mining for gold whenever you do these things. So, so I think yeah. that you know that you have to bring like whatever you have. And that's what Stuart Gordon has is like this really amazing practical effects grotesque a kind of like a wet energy that he <laughs> yeah. brings to movies <laughs> wet and gooey yeah it's like the inside of a tootsie roll yeah yeah well uh when i whenever i watch uh from beyond or reanimator i'm always like shit how long did it take that take to get the like vaseline off their face <laughs> um, yep. or like you're watching dagon and you're like were these people constantly ridden with pneumonia like they're just getting rained on every every second throughout the film a wet movie. It's a, it's wet, a wet, wet, wet movie. movie. <laughs> well, hey, you know what? Lovecraft was obsessed with wet stuff, so yeah. it all it all makes sense. Yep. It's and that's what I, Peter and I have talked on this podcast uh, so far this this kind of month is that that's why we find the 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 HP Podcraft so helpful because uh, I've reread or read for the first time a lot of the stories as part of this because I have been one of those people that really liked the aesthetic and the horror but have found some of his work pretty impenetrable. Mm -hmm. And so there's many stories that I would read and go, okay, that's pretty good. And then hearing those guys really break down and, and like you said, kind of pull out the, the theming and pull out the ideas in there in a way that's easily digestible um, has been like a really great way to fully appreciate a lot of what he was trying to do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, whenever anyone, if somebody ever asked me, and it's, it's only happened a couple of times, it's not frequently asked questions, but somebody, you know, I don't go to the <laughs> store the and someone says, you know, Hey, how do I get into HP Lovecraft? I always write, like, that's my all time favorite podcast. And I always recommend it because I think it is the best way to get, uh, into Lovecraft. And in more than half, like the best way to experience the stories, yep. like by volume, 60% at least of the stories are best experienced vicariously through those dudes. There are a 40%, which is still a sizable body of work that I think yeah. genuinely is good to experience on your own. Um, but yeah, that is uh, my number one recommendation for sure. I think I, I made the point earlier in the season um, that uh, with that with that podcast, I, yes, I love reading alienating fiction that's confusing or dense mm -hmm. and it makes you feel kind of alone. Mm -hmm. I like reading mm -hmm. that fiction. But when it's over, it's kind of nice to have a moment where you're like, commiserating with someone else about how the piece made you feel and um and if the piece wasn't very good it's nice to have someone there to be like all right well here's what i got out of it yeah because um, then yeah. it's like you got more out of it just by listening to some very fun intelligent funny guys uh voices mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and you mentioned uh that you went to the hp um 
Podcast Film Festival, which is in Portland. And I believe, if I uh, want to tee you up for a plug, uh, you guys are doing something else in Portland? Oh, we, we, we are doing, well, I'm planning on sleeping there. Uh, all this month, this month only. Um, the uh, yeah, so we're we're doing uh, so people are listening to this. If you do happen to be in Portland or the Pacific Northwest, um, and this is not Lovecraftian, uh, but it is just related to to the network and everything. We are holding our first ever podcast festival um, called Duckfest. Um, we are doing it on August thirty first, all day um, at the historic Clinton Street Theater. Uh, so big, nice theater with concessions and air conditioning, and we're doing eight shows. Uh, throughout the day, six from us and then two special guests to our local. Um, awesome. the very funny, uh, pitch please and the very funny spec script. Um, both pod, one podcast, which I have guested on that episode is coming out, uh, relatively soon. And the other one I've seen and is wonderful. Uh, and it is 15 bucks. Um, it's going to be an absolute hoot. Um, and that is, uh, if you go to duckfeed.tv slash duckfest, you can find information on that. So awesome. if you live, if you live here, risk it, you know, even if you never heard duckfeed, uh, risk a day. Just, uh, you know, come, come sit in there. It's hot. We got our heat wave right here. Come sit in the air conditioning, eat popcorn with us. Uh, we got a teen taking tickets. Um, you know, you want to see that. And, uh, there'll be interstitial music and overweight men. So all the uh, things that you want from a podcast festival right there. Yeah. And Portland, uh, Portland rules. I was, uh, born there. I only lived there till I was two, but uh, <laughs> the, the rattles are awesome. Yeah. The, the, the pacifiers are awesome. rule. The we're good. Yeah. yeah. Um, I didn't think that the daycare scene was very yeah, good. Yeah, bad it's scene. Changed. Bad scene. Yeah. Big sausage party at the daycare scene. Yeah, that's very gross. Bad. I wish I hadn't said that. Uh, um, yeah. the, 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 uh, <laughs> but yeah, Portland is is you know if even if you're just you know maybe it's a little bit of a drive like you live in Seattle or whatever uh, you owe yourself a vacation and Portland is a beautiful city in the summer and uh, yeah, real fun. And, and I have to say, like as someone who's been listening to the Duckfeed shows for years, that's uh, just such an enticing idea because. It does feel like this big, warm family, and like everybody is very fun and is seems to be a good person. Like has a good a good sense of like uh, not putting the thumbscrews to people. So like I'm really excited about like uh, about this coming together. Like I'm excited to see what comes of this because this is such a cool, cool, fun idea. It seems like a a warm, f- familial kind of afternoon. Yeah, I think it's um, and it's kind of based on you know if this goes well, which we we hope it does. You know, this year we we've been. Um, our our patreon blew up this year you know just uh being transparent so this is a celebration yeah. right like we want to do this for a while we have the money to do it um if this goes well um the idea is to annualize this and not always have it in portland but do it in different parts of the country so we have other guests other people from the network who can come um and just kind of hopefully get everybody in on that because it is you know really it is really warm you know, it is, uh, we, yeah. we do our best to, to foster a really positive, uh, really accepting community. And, um, you know, it is, uh, a really, you know, at least judging just based on our, our Slack and stuff and, and people who in kind of digital spaces, uh, socialize and it is very, very positive and warm. So we, we like to cultivate that. Also, I think, you know, if, uh, if I, uh, to, to borrow, I think a phrase that we use from you is, uh, uh, speak some sugar. Oh yeah, talk talking sugar. Talk talking some sugar. Um, I think when Peter and I started doing this podcast, and um, and we were like, what what kind of podcast do we want to do? Uh, we knew what we wanted to be about film, and you know, and we were kind of like, do we do we talk about like who we are as people and politically and stuff like that? And you know, listening to you and Cole, like bring when those themes matter, and there was something we're talking about that you guys had something to say on, not being afraid to alienate potential listeners or like hey if this super mario thing reminds me of like 
but why Nazis are bad, and I and I feel like I need to say that. Like in this episode of Watch Out for Fireball- Fireballs, we're gonna say that. And yeah, I think that kind of informed a lot of how we decided to approach the material, especially because a lot of what we cover when you're talking about like movies is some pretty fucking gross and regressive stuff and not being afraid to like speak to the things that are either bothersome to us or that we feel are worth discussing just because it has the potential to alienate like what ter- what we realize very early are like the worst people. Yeah, well, there's <laughs> the, yeah, there's so there's so much there. Like that is the the correct thing to do for like a billion reasons, right? Like one, it takes so much energy to put on a persona. Yeah. When you record, like that is that makes something that is a pleasurable activity not pleasurable. Yeah. Uh, you know, two um you you get uh you will, you will gain people from that is our experience. You know, you, you will lose people when you treat yourself, uh, if you don't treat yourself like a product, if you don't treat yourself for aiming for, um, you know, the highest part of the bell curve, um, you might lose some people, but you'll gain people too. Like people appreciate when you're open, people appreciate when you're your complete self and taking a stand, um, because it is, uh, you know, and not to pat anyone on the back. Like I know a lot of people who do this, um, but yeah. it's, it's a little bit rare, right? Like it, it doesn't, uh, yeah. we're not used to that in our entertainment. Um, so there's just, there's a lot of reasons to do it. And in, in our experience, it helps. It doesn't hurt. Um, you know, we, we have, uh, the people who listen to us, uh, who do appreciate that, you know, we've heard that a bunch, um, are just like really, really, uh, loyal, which is awesome. You know, they're like, as opposed to getting the most number of people, we have slightly fewer people who are incredibly loyal and very, uh, you know, devoted. And I think part of that is because we're able to be complete people, uh, on air. Yeah, and that and that really has really informed our aesthetic to the point that like it it came very naturally. It was what Peter and I were already discussing pre podcast as we you know went back and forth on like I think Facebook Messenger originally mm-hmm. talking about things in the world and stuff like that. And it is again not to pat ourselves on the back either, but one of the things we do get uh, from people who end up finding us is that like you are talking about these movies in a way that a lot of people are. F- like don't talk about them or want to like go oh it was 1970 yeah it was accepted in like kind of this gross way and and that has kind of us being ourselves in that way uh yeah i don't know if it's expanded or reduced our audience but at the end of the day it feels we can feel good after we get done recording that we we talked about what we wanted to who's who's gonna who's gonna trust a love like a podcast that deals with lovecraft stuff that doesn't talk about racism right yeah. like it is it is the <laughs> the horrible you know piece of shit in the the bowl of m&ms and even in stories i absolutely love it's a big part of it you know yep. and having that being able to be okay with that dissonance and say like hey it sucks that this is this is was hor- this was written from a place of genuine fear motivated by something by a character human weakness of this person here's what i can take from it to Either just to, you know, for, for pleasure to like fire my imagination or to like actually draw more resonant, you know, Mm -hmm. themes from it that are more positive or progressive or anything like that. Um, you have to be able to tackle both those things at once. There's no interesting way to engage with the work that doesn't engage with the fact that like, hey, when he's talking about fish people, he kind of means a certain race of people. (laughs) Yeah. He's scared of the idea of interbreeding. Right. And like the real something I think about a lot with that story, because that's, it's one of my favorites is the idea that like part of the reason why I think that's there's a lot of good things like that's a good story is because he was genuinely terrified by this thing and whether it was justified or not it was like but it was he took that real fear made a metaphor that exists as a you know like what it's a metaphor for don't accept it all like it's horrible yeah. right like it's just like of course 
right? Like I am, I am super pro miscegenation. Like I don't, you know, we're, yeah. weird thing to say out loud, but it, you know, it's true. Like I'm, I'm fine with that. Uh, absolutely fine with it. But the story on its own, there's so much more to it than just that aspect. You know, like that has to be dealt with. And once you kind of deal with it and don't let it off the hook, you know, no pun, right? But don't, yeah. don't let it off the hook. <laughs> Actually fully process it. It's not the only thing that's there. Like you can, you can still take a lot from it. I think there is a lot there besides that, but you're a hundred percent right. If you're listening to a podcast that's like, yeah, he was racist in 1920, but let's moving on. Yeah. You are, <laughs> you're listening to a podcast that's not confronting. And, and that was one of my, my favorite things about, uh, the HP Lovecraft literary podcast is that it kind of starts off a little bit like that, right? Like in the early yeah. episodes are kind of let them off the hook and then they get into some of the really dire stuff. Um, you know, the, like you can't read the horror at Red Hook or, uh, the street. The street, or, yeah. The street and just be like, yeah, this is okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. The street. And, it sounds like it was written from a character from The Purge. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's vile. It's vile on it's every, <laughs> every axis. Like, you know, and they kind of eventually let him off the hook less and less until eventually I think they land where you need to be. Yeah. You know, with it. Uh, yeah, but uh, we uh, – so we are covering today – I don't know if we said it. I don't think, I think we, we did. so excited. I don't think <laughs> yeah. we did. We're, yeah. um, we're, so FYI, if 30 minutes in, we are covering a movie called Banshee Chapter, which was actually something that we – Peter and I discovered as we had already announced the lineup for this month. Uh, and I had seen it on some Wikipedia post when we were researching the From Beyond episode and saw that this had been remade. In 2013, <laughs> and to this movie that, according to uh, you know Rotten Tomatoes for whatever that's worth, but what else are you gonna judge it by on Wikipedia has 77 <laughs> percent, and you know the 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 only good antagonist from True Blood is in it, the weird preacher dude. Um, <laughs> sorry if you've never watched True Blood, I wouldn't recommend it, but he is funny in it. You get to say pre- see pretty people's butts. That's pretty cool. You do get to see a lot of pretty people's butts. I, I feel yeah. like that's a YouTube reel. You should check out. <laughs> just, just the butts of True Blood, <laughs> yeah. butt bloods, yeah, butt, butt blood, greatest butts, yeah. greatest butts. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, but he's sorry, really good go on. Yeah, so we were like, we should do this because one thing that a lot of the Lovecraft episodes that we've done, most of the adaptations that people are familiar with, were kind of done in the eighties and nineties, and I think the Mist Peter is our most recent adaptation, and even that is. Not not directly a Lovecraft story, but a uh, kind of a inspired by Lovecraft. So yeah, we were like, we should try to do this and fit this in, and uh, we approached Gary, uh, who was already, as he mentioned, I think, in the green room mm-hmm. that uh, this this one wasn't on your radar. No, no, I, I somehow missed this. Um, the uh, for our kind of libretto for the podcast, we use a book called The Lurker in the Lobby, which is about Lovecraftian film adaptations uh and then kind of supplemented it with wikipedia but we weren't intending to to cover everything so we we kind of handpicked you know 20 or so episodes worth of stuff and uh and it's like well this will be you know almost two years that's probably about the time where we might be ready to move on um you know let's do these things and this just didn't end up on there and uh you know one of the things i think that we want to do on that show is not necessarily cover uh multiple adaptations of the same thing you know, so yeah. if it came down to this or the Stuart Gordon from Beyond, I know we wanted to do the Stuart Gordon from Beyond. Oh yeah, uh, you know. So, and this is very different, right? Like you can you can it's cover both different. because this is this is incredibly <laughs> different uh, from that. <laughs> and I think what was interesting watching it, uh, I had never seen it before. Um, I think it's a, it was the first time watch for all of us. It really is, from my perspective, 
very much a 2013 interpretation of a Lovecraft story in that it's taking the ideas of Lovecraft, but it's really putting it through like the paranormal activity grinder, Mm. which is kind of where horror was in 2013, which is we're going to like give you a couple of like uh, breadcrumbs of scares throughout and then the big shocking scares that are going to make you leap out of your seat are going to happen in the last 10 minutes. And we're not going to give you much story throughout that. We are just going to kind of pepper in scares and a mystery and let you go from there. And it kind of – this one's really weird though because even though it's it's kind of quoting found footage movies that we're kind of again taking from the paranormal activities – it, it's not really committing to being a found footage movie. No, no. <laughs> it's taking the aesthetic for sure, but it's uh, there are moments when you realize you're like, oh, wait, there isn't a cameraman in the room. It's very strange. Ago. <laughs> in the very same scene, it'll just swap, you know, without yeah. Uh, yeah. any any kind of diegetic reason behind it. One of the things I thought about this, and I don't know if you, uh, if, if you fellas thought this as well, I kept thinking, like, yes, like paranormal activity, but I was getting tons of marble hornets from this. Uh, like early on, yeah. <laughs> like the radio, yeah. the distortion, like the distortion noise scare whenever anything bad was happening. And I was like, oh, this is Marble Hornets. Like, that's and weird. The, and the uh, the the monster, um, yeah. the creature from beyond is a sort of humanoid with long, you know, elongated features, sort of slender manny. Like, that, I totally get that. Yeah. I also thought it was a lot of like someone going through uh, Resident Evil levels and also... Uh, at the end, when she's in the basement and has like the number or the not the number, the uh, chemical puzzle, I'm like, is this a puzzle? Yeah, <laughs> there are. There's a couple of very video game ass scenes in this. The, the the puzzle on the blackboard was very funny to me. Yes. Uh, yeah, I noticed that. I gotta say though, the the, the found footage dash mockumentary thing is uh, this made me think. So Aaron said something earlier that that really is resonating with me, which is that like. You can tell how different eras are reacting to the same material by what era they're made in. And this does feel like a 2010s uh, adaptation of, of, you know, cosmic horror. Um, It's obviously also getting into X-Files style conspiracy theory stuff, but Mm -hmm. we'll get to that. Um, But my point is that the found footage dash mockumentary um, structure is, I think, maybe one of the most ideal ways to adapt Lovecraft, even if I don't think this movie was very successful. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like, the, especially his best stuff, or his most beloved stuff, like uh, Call of Cthulhu, um, is just like a frame within a frame, where it's like, well, like I found this Yeah, like yes. there's a lot of epistolaries, there's lots of statements of your Randolphs and your Carters and such. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's a lot of, like, that kind of thing. And that's a, that's a reason why those a lot of those stories end up being chosen for short films for like college yeah. projects and stuff. And I, I, I wanted this to have the confidence, I guess, to go all in on that because I agree. I think that's a really interesting way to do it. Um, and a way to get around the, um, you know, the, the scariest thing is what you can't see. Um, we're dealing with things that are indescribable, etc. Right. Like yeah. this, the, the monsters in this, uh, while I think it's, it's kind of a good design, ultimately, ended up not being that different from just a monster movie you yes, know yes you know there, there's no there's no sense of the, like the otherness that i i kind of really wanted from this other than like textually like we were kind of talking about this in the green room and like it's weird the otherness is there in that we don't know the motivations of the malevolent force in this but we do know it's malevolent like it's mm-hmm. explicitly malevolent which is a, like strike one uh strike two like they just kind of seem like monsters like if this was a virus 
you know, or yeah. something like that, that yeah. like made people, made people do this if it wasn't anything contacting, you know, from beyond, uh, yeah. so to speak. Um, it would be the same movie, right? Yeah. But I do think it does introduce a fun idea, which is that like their default form is maybe entirely unimaginable, right? It might only appear as a shadow. Maybe we can't see it at all, yada, yada, yada. But that they need our bodies, which they will morph to their design um, yeah, yeah. To, to cross over. Like, that's kind of a fun wrinkle because usually it's like they come through and then Lovecraft gets a chance to describe or choose not to describe a really gross thing. Um, so that's kind of, I guess that's kind of interesting, but you're right. The ultimate, that's that's sort of um, an in-the-weeds interpretation. I think the the ultimate base effect is that it's just a spooky, spooky monster movie. Um, there's a Lucille Fulci movie called House by the Cemetery that I heard compared to Lovecraft a lot. And so I watched it as a fan of like those goopy Italian horror movies. And I was like, this doesn't feel Lovecrafty at all. It just feels like a haunted house movie. And the monster is just a monster. Like, and, and, and uh, it feels like a similar sort of thing where, where like, for some reason it gets attached to the Lovecraft uh, mythos. But like, if you take your head out of the weeds a little bit, like... It is just kind of like an elongated kind of spidery man. Yeah. Little, little tentacle yeah, action. It's, it's, missing, it's missing the goopy fuck pile of man yeah. that exists in Stuart Gordon's. <laughs> like, you need a fuck pile, I think. <laughs> yeah, cer- certainly. The, um, should, we, um, should we say what happens uh, just in, in general in the movie? Um, just, just for people who haven't seen it. Because I do, I do yeah. think it's probably pretty obscure. Yeah, uh, let's go. We'll do. Uh, we'll do a little musical break, and we'll do a quick ninety-second plot recap, and then we can jump around and give overall thoughts from there. Cool. When you say jump right. around, do you mean you're going to be playing a certain House of Pain song? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm actually only going to be playing the Everlast acoustic version. But yes, uh, thank goodness. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, we're saved. Yeah, we're saved. Uh, Peter, why don't you give us a quick 90 second or quick recap? <laughs> so it begins with a, uh, our story of the Banshee chapter begins with a uh, documentary footage sort of setting up that there has a uh, MK Ultra conspiracy, a real life uh, conspiracy um, where the government experimented on uh, the US government, I should say, uh, experimented on people, uh, feeding them strange drugs. Um, do, just uh, doing strange psychological testing on people. Um, how much of it is true is kind of uh, up to your faith in the government and your level of uh, fucking um, patience for conspiracy theories. But <laughs> sure. Uh, <laughs> but uh, in this one, it's positing that they were uh, turning people into resonators for a uh, cross-plane, uh, cross-dimensional beings to come through. So that's uh, that's the central. Uh, that's the central concept of the movie. And uh, we are told at the beginning that it's because of this this specific drug, DMT. I don't remember what it's it's actually long for because I'm not Joe Rogan. Um, but it's <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it is essentially this uh this this very powerful uh, chemical that exists within the human body already, but the concept is that they were feeding people this in, you know, maybe uh, a version of this, so they're feeding it in uh um a specific context that was making people uh, kind of go mad. Uh, a uh, amateur journalist uh, discovers that, uh, or an amateur d- journalist gets his hands on a vial. He takes it, um, and some strange shit starts happening. Uh, radio signals start popping through, and uh, 
he's strange noises start coming through and yeah he's becoming he's becoming a resonator for uh interdimensional beating beings uh and then his friend finds him and he has a strange spooky fucked up face so those kind of common factors are going to be throughout the movie strange stretched out stretched out funky uh funky face and then um a radio signal that plays a sort of almost like a ice cream jingle like a kitty song yeah yeah um sort of the ear, uh, cute eerie did the three uh, notes of the the jingle sound like the beginning of o canada do you guys <laughs> it does now like <laughs> the canadians are coming like i i kept i could not not hear it as the beginning of o canada <laughs> that's the problem with really simple rhythms is that once you attach it to something larger you're just like oh okay <laughs> now it's just that uh, why aren't you playing o canada yeah. <laughs> um as long as long as we've, we've taken a quick break from the plot I, I don't think you set this up properly peter because the tagline for this movie really i think gives you a sense of what the movie is going to be and that tagline is from the producers of Margin Call. <laughs> That's what this movie is, a nuts and bolts uh, documentary of the present. If you liked the producers of Margin Call. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it is. And it is It is a movie that I think you'll have more fun with it once you actually let go of any hopes that it's going to be some sort of margin call for, you know, conspiracy theories. Because it becomes essentially uh, the story of a journalist who, uh, Anne, I believe, uh, who is chasing after uh, her lost friend, who is the, the amateur journalist from the beginning. And she uh, goes on sort of a, a quest to find him. Figure out what the deal is with DMT, which, uh, by the way, three years before this movie, DMT, the spirit molecule came out and was like on Netflix. So um, I recommend she get a Netflix account for like a week. Um, but instead she meets Hunter S. Thompson. So. Yeah, but instead she meets, excuse me, Thomas Did Blackburn. any of you expect that? Like, no, like no. did you any of you expect a large portion of this movie to be a Hunter S. Thompson homage? No, <laughs> not any universe. Did I think that was going to be the case? <laughs> it, it, the movie changes in that it, it all of a sudden makes you reckon with its dialogue, which is a mistake for this movie. <laughs> because if you are familiar with Hunter S. Thompson, you know that uh, the, the lines they're giving uh, Ted Levine uh, mm-hmm. are like what a 17-year-old who just read one chapter of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas would think he would say. It, it is like putting a gun to somebody's head and being like, hey, do a Hunter S. Thompson. <laughs> Yeah. You know, you know, now, 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 you know, the, uh, and he's kind of, and he's kind of like good at like some of the mannerism stuff. Oh, like it's, it, yeah, it, but, I, I kind of love it. Like as far as on the curve of this movie, like yeah. that is by far the most fun shit that this movie does. Like that is the best performance. That's the most fun, you know, yeah. as far as any charisma is that dude. <laughs> yeah. yeah if you, I mean, part. if you would have told yeah. me, forget about Lovecraft adaptation. If you told me there was a movie where Ted Levine plays Hunter S. Thompson, <laughs> I would have been in. Yeah. Like, isn't it weird that this is now the Hunter S. Thompson movie that you can watch with the least amount of guilt? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so the, 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 she meets up with uh, Thomas Blackburn, who is Hunter S. Thompson. And they, uh, they sort of go on a uh, adventure together, um, through the the southwest, I guess. I uh, what happens is is they take drugs at his is house. Stretching it. Yeah. Uh, well, it's it, they go to three locations. Um, you're not supposed okay. to go to a second location with a hippie ever, and she went to three. So, <laughs> actually, she goes to four because she picks. She like meets him in a bar, and then they go to his house. They take drugs, uh, or at least they. Does she believes she? Yeah. she took drugs. Um, that whole that whole rigmarole, whether or not she took, yeah, it's, uh, it's bad. It's, really yeah. bad. it's 
clumsy and sweaty for especially for like a movie that's pretty simple and lean like come on um <laughs> but uh she she uh they have a crazy night where they all quote-unquote take drugs and uh, a monster comes through so at the house uh hunter s thompson uh has a buddy who synthesizes drugs and uh she gives them all a, or they believe that they're being given a dose of this special dmt drug uh that is going to help them uh, access the truth of what really happened and uh as soon as they take it shit starts going very much awry and there starts being shadow creatures and demons and stuff in the house and one member of the party gets a stretched out goofy face uh mm-hmm. the drug deal the drug synthesizer drug scientist um and she uh, she disappears into the ether. So that's another thing that happens is people will just uh, get a stretchy, scary face and then disappear. Um, so then they go to uh, investigate um, the, the drug synthesizer's house. I keep saying drug synthesizer. Now it sounds like she's a, so yeah, like, like an Brian Eno a, album. Yeah, like. she's, <laughs> she's a Korg yeah. that that slow drips you acid. Yeah, it's a Roxy music thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they go to her house uh they, they run into her spooky spirit creature then they go to a government lab and uh well and they are uh they discover a strange thing in a tank and they discover some more truths of the of what these creatures are and that they want to come through and they want to occupy us uh on the other side and they run into one of the spooky things hunter s thompson immediately kills himself i should say thomas blackburn immediately kills himself uh hunter s thompson also committed suicide we need to talk about that at some <laughs> yeah. point and not immediately um, though yeah not yeah, immediately not, in very little to do with banshee chapter <laughs> um but uh gary did you know we record for five hours <laughs> uh, <laughs> But yeah, and then uh, she discovers that she all she has to do is uh, set whatever this strange thing in the tank is on fire, and I, she breaks. She believes she breaks the connection to this resonation, this resonator to the other world. And then she wakes up. She's being interviewed by police, being interviewed by you know former journalist associates. And then she realizes that oh no, you can transfer the resonation powers by touch. And uh, her journalist friend gets a spooky, stretchy face, and then the movie ends. It was it was still around. Uh, I think what this movie does best is actually what's not on screen. I think it's the ideas. <laughs> so hold on, let me, let me what, what this uh, movie does. That. What this movie does best is a Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. So exactly. it's, it's another unrelated movie. So the, <laughs> it's to point you in a direction yeah. to you might yeah. like after you've yeah. seen it on Amazon. Uh, the Banshee was a really good car in Grand Theft Auto Three. Sure. Yeah. Good X Man. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, I think it, its ideas are good. We talked a little bit about that found footage seems like the best way to adapt Lovecraft. And if Lovecraft was making movies in the 20th century as opposed to writing fiction in the in the early 20th century, that might be the way that he approached it. Because it was like these found letters that he was kind of presenting as stories. The other thing I think that this is very Lovecraftian in style is Lovecraft liked to take real books, real documents, mm. real stories, and work them into his fiction to kind of add a level of credence or fear. And that's something I've always really liked about Lovecraft. The way I even discovered books that he would reference in some of his works were like real books, and he would make a horror story around them. So I think the idea of making a horror movie, it's not the first time movies love MK Ultra, but uh, <laughs> specifically the movie MK Ultra. So <laughs> Uh, I, I think that idea of working in um, real life events into your fictional horror story is a Lovecraftian thing. So I think the style they approached it 
is the most Lovecraftian thing about it. But then beyond, yeah, like I think we talked about, beyond the idea of people from another dimension, it's not really hitting on much. I, I really wish it kept with the, the reality and the found footage thing. Something yeah. um, in the, the recap, um, when you said that the government was ex- doing these experiments um, and it, it, you know, portals in these people or this, these creatures from beyond or whatever. Did either of you get the sense that that's what the government wanted? Because yeah. I, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know what the government wanted. Right, like so, the actual MK Ultra. The idea is like you, you it's for like mind control and make a super soldier, making super soldiers and stuff like that. Yeah, but the the you know they set up a tank, they set up a, a monster tank. Uh, they they <laughs> as, as you want to do as you want to do. There's nothing that suggests that this would create super soldiers or anything that would motivate the government behind it. So it felt like it was kind of being careless to me with the real life stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. And not just in terms of uh, switching back and forth between found footage and, and regular film, but also in terms of, you know, you you, vo- you know, the opening uh, montage is about it's cutting in actual documentary footage about the experiments um, yeah. and, and in really bad taste. Uh, Bill Clinton apologizing for the Tuskegee uh, experiments, which <laughs> yeah. is like incredibly oh, bad taste yeah. that um, terrible. To, to use that. Um, but then also then this, this guy, this initial journalist who is either writing a book or doing journalism on this drug. Initially, I can't remember the, when it gets to the government and the government wanting to do this, like the thing about MK Ultra, the reason why that's a, a credible, you know, conspiracy theory, and I'm not really a conspiracy theory guy, but one of the reasons why it's credible is the government might, might have a reason to want to do it. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know why the government would do this. Like the scientists are portrayed as very heartless and evil. Like the final yeah. stinger where we find out that the Hunter S. Thompson analog was the first person to be experimented with this stuff, you know, mm-hmm. in the, in the, the, the final scene, why? And yeah. then they just like, let him go. They don't like, they do the experiment. They see that he has a really bad time <laughs> and then they throw him <laughs> away. Like it's not a very good experiment experiment. If it's like, well, if we torture this guy, he ends up tortured. You know, <laughs> also like, yeah, no, that's true. And also every time I think that the black and white segments of the government footage is one of the best like shot moments of the movie. Sure. They're but- super spooky. You know, they're super yeah. spooky. Yeah. But yeah. from a, like, you're right, from, like, a story p- standpoint or, like, even what is the motivation of the government, they keep showing the same thing, like, seven different ways where a government agent is shocked that these things are happening happening, and then seems panicked by them. And it's like, why do you fucking keep doing it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, I got to say, just comparing it to a movie we did for this series recently, The Mist, we know the government was attempting, you know, let's assume just for the sake of this, that the, in Banshee chapter, they knew what they were doing, that they knew that they were somehow tapping into some sort of uh, Lovecraftian, some sort of cosmic knowledge, yada, yada. In The Mist, you never ask really a question why the government was doing what they're doing, because you don't really get a good exposure to, you never meet the scientists. You never mm-hmm. meet anybody that's important. You actually never meet anybody that really spent that much time up on uh, Project Arrowhead. You just met, you just meet some Marines who are like, I watched a truck. Um, yeah. So, so uh, in that, you don't ask the questions. In this, because it's 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 about conspiracy theories, which is specifically uh, to quote uh, the worst human being, Alex Jones. I'm just asking questions. Yeah. Um, sure. yeah. By taking inquisitive people that are there just to discover the truth and making it about journalists, you expect some sort of answer out of that. However, well, and, in, it, oh, go on. Yes, yeah, so, sorry, sorry to cut it. And also, just like to, to plus one that just a little bit. Like also, the scientists that we see are also malevolent. Like yeah. the the last thing with the the main scientist, the senior scientist, who is just comically heartless about the whole thing in a way that no scientists are. 
like just it suggests an agenda that we have to know as opposed to like in the mist where like yes you can surmise there was a reason the government was doing it but it also comes off as an accident in the yeah. mist at this point the fact that they're repeating the experiment it keeps happening they keep doing it they set up the tank with the the stretch face in it uh just implies that it's not an accident it's something they want to do so there's like additional motivation attached to it um, did you ever watch X-Files, uh, Gary? Yeah, yeah, it's very, it's very X-Files. <laughs> well, yeah. welcome to, uh, the pain of every X-Files fan, <laughs> yeah. uh, people that don't know this movie or X-Files, like, that's, that's sort of like, well, why are they doing the spooky thing? And you're like, wait till next season. Yeah, uh, yeah <laughs> well, it's because, Peter, uh, the only, if, if they made a deal to make the bee corn... That <laughs> then the rich families get to live, but then oh, movie time! They broke the deal. Yeah, no. Dag is going to explain it to us if we wait for him. <laughs> Dag will be here. Uh, I gotta wait for season twelve. Yeah, um. <laughs> but yeah, I gotta say, I gotta say that that like uh, casting a journalist as the lead, especially a journalist who is looking for another journalist, is very Lovecraft. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the idea of a researcher digging down the rabbit hole is great, but the thing is. They don't, A, we don't know that much about her, which is kind of in line with a lot of Lovecraft. Sometimes the Lovecraft stories are basically like, and his character was me, but two inches shorter. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah what's, uh, not, what's not aligned with Lovecraft is that you said, we don't know much about her. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, the, the idea of the government conspiracy, it's asking you to ask a question. And then when it, it comes time for them to either answer the question or find some sort of like satisfying way to tell you, you there is no answer, it kind of flails a bit. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think so. I think, I think that was, for me, you know, that was probably the biggest... Biggest flaw in it was, was that kind of lack of confidence in both those areas, like in both in how it shot and then how it ties into, to real life. Um, you know, the, the, the main characters, you know, being, uh, or the, the, our first point of view character who, who dies. And then, um, and like the journalist, I, I think, I think you're, yeah, it is Anne. Um, and being such kind of ciphers, like kind of worked for me as a detective kind of story you know because mm-hmm. she she follows the clues right like it, it's it's hearing the sound and then going and talking to the weirdo shortwave radio specialist <laughs> yeah uh which which that scene is, is ex- exceedingly goofy and yeah. then hunter s thompson and there, there's a moment uh you know where this movie had me right like mm-hmm. i was like oh this i like this and it was the the exact moment so she goes to um hunter s thompson's house i'm gonna keep saying hunter s thompson i know it's not him yeah um <laughs> she goes to his house uh she's undercover she agrees to take the drug and he says he tricked her into taking it. And I don't know if, you know, kind of tying back into our conversation at the beginning of the episode, like certain things that are not like, obviously, uh, you know, drugs are kind of inappropriately problematized, like in this country, mm-hmm. um, in a lot of ways, like obviously, you know, getting conviction, all the jazz. But, uh, the truth of the matter is like in, in deep down in my soul, drugs scare the shit out of me, right? Like a hallucinogenic <laughs> drug in an unfamiliar space having been dosed with it is one of the scariest things I can think of. Oh, yeah. um, I, I don't know if you guys saw Midsummer. Um, <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. It's so, great. So I find that very terrifying. And I thought I was like, oh, shit. Like, yes, I didn't expect Hunter S. Thompson to be in here. He's kind of fun actor. Oh, this is a different thing. Mm-hmm. You know, that's scary as hell. Like he's in on air or something. And then it just did the second of, I think, three or four total, just kind of scary found footage running away from Slenderman scenes. Yep. Like it was just like immensely disappointing and nothing happens with that. You know, I was, I was into malevolent, uh, Thompson. No more. Yeah. Which would have actually like 
tied back to what we see at the end, right? He's yeah. the first person that kind of is experimented on to make contact with the, these other dimensional beings. So the idea that he was part of it, that even his whole like counterculture hero status may have been some sort of um, part of the plan that he was enacting as part sure. of interdimensional beings. Like those are, those are ideas and threads to, to run with instead of like a trick that's revealed as a trick, but then he's also it's a kind fake, of a good guy. Yeah. yeah it's a fake trick. They, they form an unlikely friendship that yeah. like is very like, again, I find that I find the, the character, the Hunter Thompson character pretty charismatic. I don't feel like they had like friendship chemistry like no. in this way. At no point I think would she have been like, we have to work together. And this becomes like a buddy investigation thing at a certain point. I'm like, what is happening? Why? Yeah. It, it also you know? has the uh, the most bizarre uh, showing how they've bonded in any movie I've ever seen in my life. By the, you're talking about the group piss scene. The group piss scene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, we've been through some shit. We yeah. are now comfortable enough that before we get in our car and go to our next adventure, we're both going to opposite ends of the car, obviously. Mm-hmm. But we're both going to just take a pee at the exact same time. Yeah. <laughs> I got to say, as someone in my more reckless drinking days, I've drink- I've pissed in alleys next to people I find deplorable. <laughs> like, like I, uh, they were probably the person to encourage me to piss in the alley because the line to get into the next bar was too long. But also to jump on, on that idea, yeah, the idea of Hunter Thompson being this, like, counterculture guy, uh, you know, let's say Thomas Blackburn just in this this moment, uh, that he Peter is Sayets. a counterculture guy. Um, <laughs> yeah, Aaron, you're supposed to say who? Yeah. Uh, who? Hunter S. Thompson? That he's a counterculture guy that actually gets soaked into these otherworldly mysteries is, like, a pretty interesting idea, and it could be a fun way to modernize the, in this short story, Crawford Tillinghast becoming seduced by the, the, the Resonator, and in the Stuart Gordon movie, uh, Dr. Pretorius becoming, like, fully seduced by the Resonator, and almost becoming, like, because they're uh, a halfway point, they become, like, a, a god on the other side. Like, mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of interesting From Beyond stuff that they leave on the table here, um, and I feel like the idea of whether or not she took drugs or not is just, like... There's already, I mean, we already know he's a scumbag willing to, like, scare the shit out of people. Just have him give her the drug. Why yeah. are they making this well, so sticky? The, this, the sloppy thing, like, the almost inexcusably sloppy thing about that is that they set that up, so they, they make it a fake out, so it can be uh, that she doesn't need to have taken the drug, right? Yeah. And then she forgets that. Like, yeah. her friend in the interrogation room reminds her of what we just saw a half hour ago. <laughs> and the idea, like, they, they have that as a plot point, so... They didn't fix it. So they can do the dun, dun, dun. Like, it doesn't matter that the, the transmitter, like the, the original source of these drugs are gone, right? Like the, mm-hmm. the, the tank face is the, the stretch face in the tank is not the transmitter, right? Cause the, the monsters are still out there. The people mm-hmm. who are infected are still infected. We don't know how many people are infected. It's just going back and forth for really no reason. Like it's moving the furniture around. Yeah. In a way that doesn't add anything. What if, uh, when, when, um, Hunter S. Thompson, the Hunter S. Thompson analog, uh, was part of this thing. What if he infected people through his writing, right? Like, yeah. what if you got some real Grant great, Morrison stuff? Some Pontypool shit. Yeah, yeah. You the know, as a virus. Yeah, like uh, the you know the the King in Yellow, right? Like the, the you yeah. know the, his books, you know, dry, like make people the thing is this. You could do a lot, and it just ref- it refuses to do it. It refuses. It gets to the end. They find the government lab where the government just left. Left stretch face in the tank. Just leaving money on the table there, evil government. Uh, and then they just, they set it, set it on fire. And then, uh, they, they thought they solved it and they didn't. Like it becomes so conventional. 
uh, well, and one of the one of the better ideas in it is that that's very Lovecraftian is when they discovered that the the formula for this drug was like uh, was given to them from the signal from yeah. beyond. But I love the idea of a movie where oh yeah we're giving you this drug as a way to make contact, which yeah, is yeah. a which is uh, a great way to again modernize Lovecraft, like this idea of this conscious expanding uh, experience. And that's what you're getting from the interdimensional beings. And then, of course, the, yeah, the idea that Hunter S. Thompson is the they, – they, they don't know what they're doing with this new formula they received through the Melty people. And now he is using it for not evil means but as a way that he's kind of grown beyond humanity as part of this. Like it's all right there and they're instead are like, what if we do a drug trick? Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it is much more – like more interestingly, like there are malevolent entities in, in Lovecraft. But if this had been yeah. – um, like Yithian stuff, you know, like yeah. they were, they were trying to get a hold and they didn't, they didn't know they were mess. They're, they're, they have to be agnostic to us. Like the key thing that this is missing from, from being a good Lovecraft adaptation. And it, this is true of the Stuart Gordon from beyond, right? When those creatures are also malevolent, you know, that, and uh, Dr. Pretorius is malevolent in that. Um, he yeah. kind of comes like he, he's horny as hell. Like he's coming off as, you know, uh, <laughs> but he's not coming off as aloof at all, but there's none of that aloofness. To, the, to these creatures, like if the things they were doing were harmful to us, but they were not trying to be harmful, you know, yeah. that would have also been like a really acceptable, cool way for this to happen. Like if they were terraforming without realizing it or yeah. like what a fucking global warming was helping them terraform. I don't know. Just like throw make the conspiracy <laughs> thing a little bit more interesting. The government's uh -huh. in league with them. You know, they, yes. they're, the gov their government is getting some kind of benefit in exchange for this. And then you have a metaphor for um, any number of real fucking experiments done on people. Then yeah. you have like a metaphor for the Tuskegee experiments and you don't uh, – you can take that, that phrase and actually put it in your fucking mouth because it's not – you know, in yeah. really, really poor taste to use it here. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. one of the most horrifying things that our government has perpetrated since yeah. the end of slavery. And uh, yeah, just just throwing it out there as like horror fodder for like crosses a line for me. Yeah. Um, whereas um, I don't know. Best case scenario, MK Ultra was just giving a bunch of uh, of people in the '60s acid. So um, yeah. Um, but you were talking about Gary. You were talking about uh, how some of the scares in the movie are quite conventional, um, and they're pretty much standard uh, jump scares, um, mm -hmm. which we, we've all I'm, we've all talked about a lot um, on the uh, on various podcasts and stuff about how like yes, you got a reaction out of me. You you managed to make my heart jump by making a loud noise and showing me something somewhat disturbing and then cutting away from it. Like, thank you. Yes, my my uh, my reflexes are not totally dead. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um I really really appreciate it. And I don't mind a few really well played jump scares. Um so like in House of the Devil has one of my favorite of all time involving a car and a conversation about pizza and uh, Greta Gerwig. But this is mostly just those, those jump scares, and I have a theory for why. So did you guys read that uh, – well, did you guys read the uh, the line that, that supposedly Christopher Nolan was attached to direct? Yeah, I yeah. Kept, I kept Googling it, and it kept coming back the same phrase. Christopher Nolan was supposedly attached to direct. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the producers of Margin Call inserted that as a rumor. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but anyways, so did you guys read that this movie was made in 3D for Oculus Rift? I knew it was made in 3D. I did not know for Oculus, though. So you can get it for free, I believe, for Oculus Rift now, but you can't get it on, like, PSVR or whatever. So what I saw is that they had shot it in 3D, and then the producers of the Oculus Rift had approached – because this, this came out in 2013, before the Oculus Rift came out. 
and they approach them to take the footage and turn it into a VR experience. Now, what I'm not sure of is that, and there was all these articles from 2014 about the first VR movie uh, is a horror movie called Banshee Chapter, which I didn't know anything about that when we started doing this episode. What I'm not sure of is I found a Reddit thread that mentioned that, like, it might not have ever come out on Oculus. But mm. I found a link to it in a trailer and shit. Okay. I, I don't know. And, and there was a link to, like, download it. Anyways, I don't have an Oculus and no one I know has one. A few of my friends have a <laughs> PSVR. Aaron has one. Um, so I was like, that'd be so cool if, like, you know, how movies work. You could just pay, you know, 5 or $10 or whatever and watch it on your, your VR. But that's not how it turned out. My theory is that if they did shoot this in 3D that they had to make certain limitations in what kind of scares they could have because uh, filmmaking inherently has a sort of linearity to what your vi- the vision is, right? Everybody is, in theory, seeing the same movie. And I don't, not in terms of a subjective, you know, interpretive way, but I mean, like, in a literal sense, the frames are going to be exactly the same if you show pe- two people the same DVD or whatever. Um, and uh, with a 3D film, you have less freedom with that. And I feel like maybe when they were shooting it, it was such a pain in the ass to shoot horror scenes in 3d that they and they couldn't do certain editing tricks because it was you know found footagey and they couldn't do certain um angle tricks uh so they uh because you know if you're shooting a movie in 3d like every angle needs to sort of be something i guess um my theory is they did sh- shock scares not just because they were easy but because when you're shooting something in 3d you're more limited by what you can do mm yeah, it's a theory. It, it might have. It, it's a theory. It might not have any grounding, but uh, that was my way of making an excuse for the fact that every every scare in this movie is largely the same. You turn a corner and spooky, <laughs> spooky guy, and then it's a you turn another corner and it's a spooky guy. You run and the spooky guy goes away. <laughs> you know, they literally go to sleep uh, yeah. in in the Hunter S. Thompson analog's house, <laughs> and then wake up to find spooky girl missing. But something also yeah. came from outside of that. We saw somebody from from out, and I think that the ending implication is that's the uh, Anne's friend stalking her. Yeah, you know, uh, kind of the, kind of the whole time. But it just goes away. Like stalking her to what purpose? We don't know. It's there to scare her. You yeah, know, it's <laughs> only an eighty minute movie, and I forgot that Anne had a friend. I'm like, yeah. did we see her before? Yeah. Uh, that is something that would make this movie more interesting is if they centered her, made her a more interesting character, and then have her slowly discover footage along the way. Yeah, like yeah. Almost ma- and, and yes, it would probably feel a bit like an anthology movie, but that would have made, I think, that character feel more um, attached to the rest of the piece, the the guy, the whatever, Atticus University t-shirt wearing guy, that, that if he had been footage that she had found on her journey to find him, I think it would have made him have a context, but instead it just felt like a cold open thing. So when they came back to him, I was just like, oh yeah, I guess, I guess, yeah, he got turned into like a from beyond thingy. Yeah, like she, she seemed to have forgotten too. Like she becomes <laughs> more about the mystery of the drug. Yeah. What, what, what do you, what do you uh, think about the fact that um, they actually name check the Hunter S. Thompson analog name checks H.P. Lovecraft in this, which implies a universe in which H.P. Lovecraft exists, but Hunter S. Thompson doesn't. Like, why they use the XP for one of the people and not the other one. Like, I know that it's because of public domain, you know, reasons, like, because one of them is very old and stuff, but it's so weird to me. Like, does Hunter S. Thompson also exist in this world? And is just, like, constantly frustrated about getting his steez bit? <laughs> Black Blackburn is just truly ripping him off, but still somehow getting media attention. Yeah, uh, yeah. I love someone tried to play this game with uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, 
uh, mm. the, the comics where you're like, well, if he exists, that means that this person has to exist. And you're like, wait, wait, wait. Alan Moore but, is good at that stuff. So he can he can do it. He can get away. Yeah. With it. <laughs> and he seems to have the sort of like spaghetti spaghetti logic brain where he can be like, well, no, the reason I have this is because I justified it, you know, 300 pages yeah. back. Keep, keep up, peon. Uh, yeah, I, I don't I don't know if you guys have uh, read Providence. Um, I have not. That, that he does, but it is, it is, uh, so huge content warning, right? On all of the Alan Moore Lovecraft stuff. Um, oh, yeah. I love it. I think it's really good. It is kind of hard to stomach sometimes, but it is, uh, it's this, right? Like it's ex- exceptionally good at this specific thing we're talking about, which is, is having the, uh, the, the inspirations for these, these things that are, are fictional and real and mixing them together. Oh, interesting. I heard about The Courtyard, um, which sort of has, which written by Alan Moore, and it sort of has... Um, it's the uh, prequel. So that's all, the prequel? Uh, yeah, that uh, goes The Courtyard, Neonomicon, Providence, and they're all the same story. Yeah, I just had someone at work who uh, recommended that series when they found out I was doing a Lovecraft theme month for this podcast. So uh, it is somewhere on my Amazon wish list. Yeah, re- yeah, recommended, of- but be careful. But anyway, sorry to <laughs> disrupt. No. no. Yeah, I think actually name-checking Lovecraft is like... A little much because or maybe maybe they were scared that they if they didn't, didn't do that, that this movie would never end up on like letterboxed lists for best Lovecraft movies. Or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or just to draw a line for the people who can't yeah. make the connection because it's a pretty like it's a pretty the, tenuous connection, pretty tenuous connection, right? Like it's definitely you're seeing something from beyond, but the things you're seeing definitely do not feel anything like, you know, the things from 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 beyond. Um, the, the method, like, yes, they pull out a chemical from the pineal gland. So there's like a little bit of <laughs> <Yeah>. that, just, <laughs> yeah. you know, name checking. What do you think about the, the original subject or whatever? The, uh, the stretch face in the tank? Like, why is that pi- pineal gland do this? You know, like, how do you, what do you think about the fact that that's not expanded upon or anything like that? Like, did you, I don't know if that's, if I missed something or if that's just the impression I got that it felt kind of arbitrary that there was one very special subject. If they pulled this chemical from that pineal gland, we got monsterism. It does. Aaron name checked uh, Resident Evil earlier, which is not really Lovecrafty, but it does have like um, Lovecrafty uh, aesthetic monsters. Like it's not cosmic mm-hmm. horror at all, um, but it is conspiracy stuff. And uh, I feel like they reminded me of like Lisa Trevor. Mm, yeah, sure. Where I was yeah. like, wait, why was she the special one? And she ended up being the daughter of these two researchers. Like, why did it take for her and not just immediately kill her or turn her into a, you know slathering zombie uh turned her into something very 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 powerful yeah i think ultimately the movie doesn't know what it has made that is interesting yeah like it it has some ideas and it has some things it wants to approach it's not like it doesn't have the good like the germs are there though the way to create an interesting arc through this are there and even some of the like from a found footage perspective i think some of the filmmaking is there the opening scene of this movie where you see the the original journalist, the bad guy from True Blood, uh, take the drug and it's in those clips of him taking it and feeling it worse and worse. And then eventually he's outside with the blood dripping down his mm-hmm. eyes. Like, I think that's effective. Yeah, that, that, that got me. Right. Like, yes, it's a yeah. jump scare, so it doesn't prove a whole lot. But I thought that was scary. It's tying into actual fears I have that mm-hmm. felt with the two of them experimenting with that felt yeah. the most true to the the actual spirit of the short story right like maybe he has the yeah. blood the blood dripping 
it goes away because we find out later that it can go away. It happens to, uh, to the Andres Thompson analog and then yep. stops, right? So we find out it goes away and then he's like, Hey, this, I, he becomes the, um, the Tillinghast mm-hmm. in that and is, or, you know, Pretorius in the other movie and <laughs> yeah. is the advocate for this, you know, but has, uh, alien or malicious or some kind of intent, you know, and it becomes about that. And they just, they just didn't do it, you know? And the the practicality of it, the the fact that it is kind of in like just a house, and it and you know he they go up to his room, and it's just like a fucking it looks like a dorm room. Like there's just you know notebooks. It's a little messy. There's some like pop culture ephemera around. Like mm. that made it that made that the drug fear uh, of that opening scene really scary. I think one of the problems is the, that that stretchy scary face thing is fun if it's in a fun house filled with all sorts of other spookery. Uh, mm. But the but the this fun house has like two or three ch- tricks and um they use uh the the stretchy faced you know bleeding from the eyes trick like seven times yeah and and again to no consequence like they show up and then they run away for a second and that's it then the then the things are gone which is incredibly like funhouse right like yeah yeah so they, they, they jump in your face and then they recede back into the shadows right they don't jump in your face and then murder you otherwise none of us would have survived a funhouse uh that that does feel like a good tim and eric sketch where or like a real life sketch where you make a a horror funhouse and just keep having the same thing in each room yeah for, <laughs> just for 30 rooms constantly like oh it's clowns again yeah the, the um unending spaghetti a never-ending pasta bowl of uh, spaghetti funhouse. Of horror funhouses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> maybe it'll come back around. Yeah. I, I really think I tried to look for this online. This movie, a hundred percent, feels like they shot it as a found footage movie, and then decided that they didn't like it and like didn't reshoot the movie, but stripped out all references to the cameraman or them talking to it mm. because otherwise, it just doesn't make any sense why they would. Like, I think I. I Peter and I have talked on this podcast before that I'm sort of a defender of found footage movies. Like I think there's good ones. And oh I think sure, like any horror horror genre or way or ways to shoot a horror movie. There's like terrible examples, but there's there's a lot of really good ones that are effective, and it it gives you that sense of that first person perspective where you're in the shit and you are kind of really in the character's head, which can work very well for for horror movies. And and it it bridges part of the gap, right? Like so if it's found yeah. footage, like oh maybe this is real. Like you know it's not real, mm-hmm. but it has the same effect of like as as those, you know, statements of Randolph Carter and stuff. Like it you found exactly. a thing that implies real life. I got to yeah. say both the first Blair Witch movie and then the um whatever 20 20 years later remake uh re- sequel, I should say. Um both Blair Witch movies I feel like are closer to true cosmic horror than this. Um, sure especially the sequences where they're like all right we're at a river we are walking dead east and then they keep walking dead east, and then they end up back at the river like non-euclidean forest like the the famous shot at the end where where he's just staring at the corner like rather than showing anything else right like he's just got his head in the corner Exactly. That. like yeah, that, that's an i never really thought about blair Witch through like a lovecraftian lens but i think there's a lot there 
Yeah, and it, and it and the sequel is like it gets more overt, which I really do like the not Book of Shadows, the the, the time yeah, I like I like that sequel. one too. Yeah, not yeah. to get into spoiler territory because I genuinely want to rehabilitate that movie's uh, cred a little bit, <laughs> but um, it does get into it, it starts to add lore a little bit, but it doesn't add enough lore to give you answers, and mm. I think that's pretty Lovecrafty, yeah, um, in a sense because it, it it sort of expands out. It, it expands out the universe and makes you ask questions and it gives you a satisfying thing to chew on while you're asking those questions. But then the movie ends and you're like, oh, shit, I don't know why that happened. Yeah, yeah. And then like in found footage in general, right? Like, I mean, earlier I said that this probably took a lot from Marble Hornets, but I like Marble Hornets. Like it, it was of its time. Yeah, I thought it was super good. Like I got that DVD. <laughs> like I, I fell <laughs> off it eventually because they didn't know how to do a story with it but <laughs> but there are episodes of that like that genuinely scared the shit out of me like when when i was first watching it right like it was just like oh no great now every time i walk home in the dark every single window has this creature in it yes. you know this this, yes. this is gonna fire my imagination in a way that's like very visceral and it was also something where i was like maybe youtube is good and then like seven <laughs> yeah. years later i was like i don't know yeah. i don't know it's like body video jury's out bomber guy and that's it yep, yep. jury's out uh, well even and even like the paranormal activity <laughs> movies which aren't all great i've only seen the first three but the way that they're really effective is that moment i think where they like will pan a camera and like you said there's a reflection in the window there's a reflection in the mirror yeah. that the characters uh filming don't dwell on because they're just panning a camera around but you're kind of left to sit with that image oh, that, that's that's the best like the the dramatic yeah. irony is like now my new favorite thing in horror movies right like and and this is this is just the first time i noticed it it's not a great movie and it's not a great example of it but that um m night uh Shyamalan movie the the village right oh yes, yeah yes um which is a movie i am a half-hearted defender for in general not full-throated, but, like, half-hearted. But there's a scene where the creatures come in to, to invade, and two characters are talking, and one is just uh, perpendicularly facing in the background, facing a house. Yeah. And you don't know that it's there. You know, that they do not draw attention to it for several beats. You know, and you just have to be like, wait, wait, what is that? Oh, those people don't know about it, but I know about it. And that's so yeah. cool. Uh, I I agree with you one hundred percent. There's a. Uh, have you seen Ty West, The Innkeepers? I have not seen The Innkeepers. I've, you guys have referenced a bunch of horror movies, which just make me feel like I need to watch more horror movies because <laughs> I love them, but I am not uh, not as literate as maybe I could be. So, well, well, we we did meet in a film uh, podcast or film <laughs> film group. So uh, we we have a problem. It's not so much. That it's a literacy issue. Um, but uh, there's a moment in that movie where the the character uh, is the scaredest I've ever been. Like. I had to – I was – it came out in 2011. So I was, I don't know, almost 30 years old. Um, normally don't get too scared at horror movies to the point that I need to like stop watching it. Mm -hmm. But I was watching it in my apartment and I had to turn on the lights and turn off the movie for a good 30 minutes. There's a part where the person wakes up in the bed and you kind of see a rise in the sheets like someone is underneath them. But it's so close up that you just kind of quickly just see like a slant. Mm. And you're like, man, it looks like there's something in the sheets there. Mm. But you're just kind of focusing on her waking up. And then it kind of slowly, slowly in that Ty West way pans back till you can clearly see there's a, uh, someone in the sheets. But uh, the, the character is still sleeping and doesn't notice. And it sits on it for three fucking minutes. Almost. Ah, jeez. <laughs> and I'm yeah. just like, 
this is too, like it was too much. And but it's that idea of just kind of slowly revealing something while your brain has to decide because the character in the movie isn't reacting to it. Yes. If it's something you should be scared of or not. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you don't have the, the kind of, again, that sympathetic kind of semiotics of like knowing fear is about. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and that's uh, or like um, the, the strangers. Does that a lot? Yes. You know? Yes. Um, the Descent does that. Like, a lot of my favorite horror movies do that. And it's, it's one of my favorite things. And I would, uh, you know, I guess again, swing it back to this stuff that Banshee Chapter doesn't do. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know? Not in, the, in Banshee Chapter's toolbox. Yeah. It's that, you know, initially when he's having the trip and he sees something that the, the filmmaker or the guy holding the camera, his buddy, who, like, what a, what a thread that that got dropped, right? Like, his buddy yeah. who gets interviewed <laughs> by the police and then just. He doesn't investigate. Why, he doesn't, just goes why doesn't he have a friend to come looking for him? Yeah, <laughs> um, uh, well, because he disappeared because he he yeah. got it from being touched by his buddy. Like that's the oh, you know, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Like I was I was thinking like oh like my the camera doesn't know, but this guy who's on screen knows something's wrong, you know. Mm-hmm. And that like when you mentioned the opening scene being pretty effective, I agree until he just becomes a scare a scare cord, you know. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I could tolerate one. Yeah. Yeah. Seven is where yeah. I draw the line. Yeah. It's uh like uh there's there's a lot of shows there's there's a lot of like the Evil Dead series in particular. I like basically all Evil Dead stuff, mm-hmm. um, even even the Star Show, uh, Ash versus Evil Dead. And what I like That's about that show. show is that it just throws it just throws like a lot of fun stuff at you. Like mm-hmm. yeah, there's going to be a jump scare, and then there's going to be a drawn out like long dreadful moment where you're really sitting and stewing in the horror. And then there's going to be something really clever and something like where they really had to reach into the toolbox. When you see movies like this and you're just like, okay, there's just so much, there's just so much uh, possibility here. Like, I want it to either be a basic ass horror movie that just is really spooky and ha- and like finds a lot of surprising ways to scare you. Or I want it to be a Lovecraftian movie that like really like makes my brain churn. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't quite satisfy either half of that. No. And you talked about the dramatic iron, the, the the you know the the dramatic irony moments. Like, there's a moment where she walks up some stairs and a thing reaches out and grabs her. Mm-hmm. You know what would make that scary is if you could see the thing at all for like the two minutes before yep, beforehand, and it's she doesn't always know. behind her. Yeah, always behind her. It's always a chase. Like maybe a, maybe a good good place to leave this. And and we were talking about um how uh we we couldn't find any information about how this this was made the kind of production and stuff with the the involvement with Oculus and such um there there is you know and this is just wikipedia this is i didn't do deep research right but the, but the guy talks about how uh this was difficult like he mm-hmm. you know made the the thing he had a really hard time casting the female lead like auditioned several hundred women before eventually uh, choosing someone. So that took a long time. Um, the budget was less than he wanted. He had 28 days to film the whole movie, which is not a long time in terms of, no, uh, no, no, no. And, and they, so they had to cut a lot of things, including whole characters, you know, in order to hit this yeah. uh, shooting schedule. So this is a compromised product and maybe, you know, just giving this person the benefit of the doubt because it costs nothing to do so. Like yes. maybe yeah. if, you know, with an unlimited budget, this could have been a really great movie that, fulfilled all of the potential that we're bemoaning mm-hmm. it lacks yeah and it it like like we said a couple times it's not it's not devoid of ideas it's not devoid of craft yeah so i i really like this is exactly the type of movie that i hope that uh i didn't see anything coming up on imdb or wikipedia for this director but this is easily a director where if i saw that he had made another movie with potentially more budget a little more time to develop some of those components 
I would watch this. Like, yeah. there's a there's a lot here that's interesting, even if it's overall not successful. Yeah, give them a shot. Yeah, yeah it's, it's not a slog. Like, it's it's not torture no. to watch this movie. No, no. it's 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 just, it's let's uh, as someone who watches a lot of horror movies, it's like exactly the type of like two and a half, three star out of five. Like, it is it's it's effective. It's entertaining. It just um, it has like I said, the black and white scenes are great. Mm-hmm. It just it doesn't add up to as much as you would hope. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, I, those are kind of my final thoughts. Anything else before we wrap up here? Um, yeah, I really do like the fact that I really do like the idea of taking a Lovecraft story, but not being entirely beholden to it. And we've talked about a lot of adaptations this month, and like uh, the Mist. Uh, sorry, not adaptations. Uh, reinterpretations of the of the mythos, or reinterpretations of the general ideas. And like uh, the Mist takes something that's like Stephen King's like. My I like making like everyday normal kind of working class uh, characters and having them go up against something that's bigger than them, which is like very interesting because Lovecraft was someone who like um, saw himself as an era, a member of the aristocracy, but he yeah. was actually like somewhat destitute for most of his his life. Uh, with this, I I do find the idea of of marrying uh, these interdimensional beings to uh, you know a conspiracy thriller super interesting, but yeah, there's it, it's it's a little un- undercooked for me to really jump onto. But uh, like Gary said at the beginning, we're you kind of have to pan for gold a bit with with some of these adaptations um, because you're just really trying to get that like that cosmic horror hit sometimes. Um, mm. I just, this gave me faith, I think, in, like, even though this wasn't a movie I was particularly fond of or I may never watch again, this did give me faith in, like, the idea, like, you can you can take Lovecraft and rework it in whatever form you want. You can marry it to, like, your actual interests. You don't have to just be beholden to, like, well, it has to take place in 1890. It needs to be in New England. And there needs to be a tentacle yeah. monster. And uh, it needs to star Jeffrey Combs. <laughs> it needs to star Jeffrey Combs. Well, yeah, okay. That's that's if, fine. It can start. Yeah, if that's, that's a, if that's an option. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I think it did kind of open me up to the idea. It was like you can modernize these concepts even if it, it, uh, it itself didn't wholly succeed at that concept yeah i agree i think that this would have been actually like I, I was kind of just because i go to that film festival once a year and because that is uh the preview like a lot of amateur filmmaking happens there i was yeah. kind of judging this on like an amateur curve mm-hmm. you know and uh which sounds very dismissive i don't mean it to be i just i didn't have kind of full expectations for it and on that like it was a fun watch like i didn't i didn't yeah. again not torture it's fun to watch i do think that its best ideas are left off you know weren't in the movie um and there was definitely you know checked out pretty hard before the the hunter s thompson character comes in because i just like oh you're not gonna get anyone with the charisma you know in this <laughs> and then once it, the whole time he's on the screen is very fun like there's a lot of just kind of pretty pretty fun pretty easy to watch movie and then it kind of ended right and like i i just kind of felt like i wanted a little bit more from from the stinger at the end you know so i i also would put it in that like seven out of ten zone you know, the six, seven out of 10 zone, which is where like a lot of good media lives. Right. Yeah. But it's not going to be the the seven out of 10 that like I recommend. Like, it's not going to be the seven out of 10 where I'm like, listen, this has a lot of flaws, but you got to check this out, you <laughs> yeah. know, which, which is honestly like sometimes where I would put like way more successful studio, you know, uh, Lovecraft adaptations. Right. Like yeah. that's where I put Dagon. Like I love Dagon, yeah. but it's objectively like a seven out of 10. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I put dreams in a witch house too. Yeah. 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 Like, uh, you know, old, there's this old horror movie called Equinox, um, mm-hmm. which 
seems like it's going to be about Bigfoot, and then it ends up being about, like, cosmic horrors coming through, and it's, like, very candy-colored 60s. I'd put that right in that range. It's it, mm-hmm. A lot of it is very broken, but, like, holy shit, do you want to see these, like, claymation monstrosities coming through? Yeah. And, like, <laughs> it feels very, like, proto-Evil Dead, like... Well, there's a... And also, it's it's not helped by the fact that we are living in a golden age for horror. Yeah. Like, I, I know yes. that's not a, not a new uh, observation, but, like, shit... People listening, have you seen the trailer for The Lighthouse? Like, yeah. I, I don't know. No like, shit. Yeah, it's like, we, we are, you know, if we, we get to live on the earth at the same time Ari Aster is making, Ari Aster is making horror movies, yeah. right? And like, that just means something. Like, we are, we are in a good time for this. So the, the and standards I, have gone up. Yeah, I do think that we're almost, uh, like, Ari Aster is doing some great, like, pagan horror throwbacks and stuff like that and robert eggers is doing these weird like uh historical almost or type horror movies i do think that one of those directors or one of those level of directors are going to come out and do more lovecraft more cosmic stuff it's just kind of sitting yeah it's it's just kind of sitting there yeah people aren't using it as much as you would expect them to be using something that is uh at least from an idea standpoint is available and free I I would not going to be surprised if the lighthouse is a uh, Trojan horse ends with movie. Like <laughs> in the trailer, he's holding the little half human, half fish icon. Where when Willem Dafoe is asking him like, "Where do you run from?" So I don't know. I I could just I think it's going to be mostly a like stir crazy, you know, movie like mostly a, yeah. a movie about people locked in a confined space and everything. But I would not be surprised if that was the twist. And, and uh, I gotta and- say, like. Like, I kind of talked about this at the beginning, like, I don't need, when I say, like, Lovecrafty movies or cosmic horror movies, I'm not just talking about, you know, like... Adaptation. We don't... Yeah. I'm not... Not adaptation, and not just, like, sea monsters, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It's, uh... But we could use more sea monster movies. (laughs) (laughs) But if if The Lighthouse or, you know, any of these movies um, just taps into that same sort of alienating, the universe is so big and so unwelcoming nihilist fear that I love about Lovecraft at his best... Mm -hmm. um, then it fits wholly in the canon because it's it's scratching this it's it's touching the same uh it's satisfying the same emotional uh void that i have uh that i need filled often with (laughs) with with with, with this stuff right yeah Um, it's a sickening disease yeah it's the worst way you could have explained it but i get the sentiment (laughs) (laughs) and speaking of void there's a fun lovecrafty movie called the void yeah the void's great Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) we should have done the void Uh, (laughs) um, but uh gary thank you so much for coming on our show yeah yeah this was really fun i appreciate being asked and uh thanks for you know prompting me to see this movie and uh and for having me (laughs) yeah and if you ever if you ever do feel like coming back the door's always open cool Uh, this was a blast yeah this was super fun I, i really appreciate it and Gary, not to make your toes curl or anything, but we are like uh, huge fans of the network. Um, we do like love your stuff, and like it's kind. We're kind of underselling how much like uh, your work helped get us to this place where we make podcasts weekly, and like oh. that's like a thing that makes me gives me genuine joy in my life. So in in a sense, I I, uh, I uh, see you as some uh, someone who like gave me something that like made my life a little bit better. So thank you so much for what you do. Oh, well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. That, that means a lot to hear. Yeah. I will also pass that along to Cole Ross, unless yes, it's just yes. my half of the podcast that you're inspired <laughs> by, which I understand, and uh, he'll never hear this. So uh, let me know whether I should give him any thanks 
Uh, and it, you it's guys like it's like fifty one forty nine, but we're not going to tell you which way it goes. Yeah, don't, don't tell us which Cole one. Cole wants to get a Cole wants to get a thank you. He's got to come on the show. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Maybe we'll thank you, Scratch is coming to collect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. No, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, do you want to let people know one more time? Uh, uh, where they can find uh, all your wonderful work as well as uh, maybe join you in person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If, if you're listening to this, if you uh, don't know our stuff, uh, head on over to duckfeed.tv. We have an inadvisable number of shows um, <laughs> and you can you can check out whichever one seems most interesting to you. Um, and uh, you know, I know that, that uh, you fellows are going to cover something that we covered at length. I don't want to spoil it. I don't want to spill the beans. But uh, I don't know if you, if you uh, forecast that far in advance. But if you're fans of something that these, uh, these guys are going to cover soon, you might be fans of us covering it as well. Um, I don't know if I'm being too oblique. Oh no, uh, you can. Say, are you saying Bloodborne? Yeah, you yeah, yeah. Say I was saying Bloodborne. I didn't know whether oh. whether you guys were hiding. Uh, no, or, we we announced we were doing so many for this two month thing. We announced them all at the beginning. Gotcha. So if, you, if you're listening to this, you're a Bloodborne fan. Um, you might like uh, Bonfire's Eye Chat, uh, which we we recently brought back. We did bring it back through the Patreon. Um, check out the network first, and then you can decide if you you feel like uh, supporting us. But if you do, uh, that's at Patreon.com/slash/DuckFeedTV. And if you are in the Pacific Northwest and want to try it in a very fun, uh, you know, affordable kind of carefree environment, come out to DuckFest, um, which you can find information at duckfeed.tv slash DuckFest. Um, that is going to be a real blast. Um, a lot of people are coming out and it will be a good positive time. Uh, and also, if I can put one more uh, vote towards the show, uh, if you want to produce more Adaptation Decay, I will not complain. Oh, the, uh, yeah, I, I love doing that show. I think that once a month is about what we got. You know, yeah. for it, like, I, I have a very strict rule right now of you one in out, one out for shows. Like, we, we it's are like a bar a, that's full. Yeah. We're, we're at a capacity of sorts. <laughs> yeah. uh, I feel like. Um, but the, uh, yeah, thanks for, for listening to that. I also, uh, I really love doing that show. Yeah. So. It, it is, as someone who, uh, is a Patreon, I get a notification, uh, daily. Yeah, and, yeah, we do put uh, out stuff all working. the time. Yeah, yeah, they do. And it's, uh, you know, there's a couple that don't quite align to my interest, but the vast majority is, uh, always a lot of fun to listen to. Uh, I've especially become a fan of your goofy bad video game one. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Which is a good half hour. So, oh, um, yeah, it's much, if you don't want to listen to us for two hours, that's a good one for. Yeah, uh, Abject <laughs> Suffering. It's not about, it yeah. is a, a comedy show where a video game is used basically as a prompt for, <laughs> for improv. Uh, but it, yeah, so don't expect us to, you know, we, early on when we were doing that show, we got a lot of reviews and feedback that was like, why didn't you talk about, like, Solar Jetman more? And I was like, well, <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> I can't, you know, I said, I said, you what, mentioned what I mentioned it. That's it. more that Solar Jetman has ever had. Yeah, the, the, yeah, like, uh, just be grateful we're, we're mentioning the name. So, uh, yeah, so thanks again, uh, this was this was fantastic. Uh, next week we're not discussing the shadow over his mouth, but we are discussing the adaptation of it that uh, I believe a, a man by the name of Stuart Gordon did. Uh, I haven't heard his name come up yet this uh, this double month, but there you go. Stuart Gordon did a movie called Dagon, uh, and we're going to be covering that along with his uh, Stuart Gordon again. Weird, I have it written twice. Must be a mistake. Uh, did an adaptation of Dreams in the Witch House for the TV show Masters of Horror, and we'll be covering that with our uh, returning guest who hasn't been on the show in a while. He did some naughty things. We put him in the penalty box. Uh, And then it turned out that we had the paper upside down, and he did good things. And so we let him out of the penalty box. We're going to put him in the pleasure dome, actually. Oh, yeah. He is going to feel very pleasurable during this episode. (laughs) Hopefully. He's going to be pleasured. This will be the first episode where we try to 
uh, pleasure someone via Skype. She's <laughs> <laughs> gonna be a lot of licking the monitor. Con- oh, if Brandon's cool with it, we we haven't nailed down the details. If not, it's fine. I guess we'll just record an episode. Brandon is our our swampy boy. He's covered He's a swamp in moss. Boy. Moss moss from another world, maybe, or just regular moss. Um we flipped over a rock and we found Brandon. That's the best way to put it, I think. And now much and now he's all over Stephen King's body. <laughs> <laughs> Meteor shit. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, then we have one more as Gary ruined the surprise, Bloodborne, to wrap up the month. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Gary. Yeah, just, don't you know? It's a, there's always a price. That, that's my fee. That's my speaker's fee. I get to fuck something up. It's, it really was a monkey's paw. No, it was great. Uh, thank you so much, everyone. Have a wonderful evening. We assume everyone only listens at night. Yeah, the, the uh, good night is also also what we say, and I don't know why. Pack it up, pack it in. Let me begin. I came to win. Battle me, that's a sin. Won't never slack up, punk, you better back up Try and play the role, yo, the whole crew are locked up Get up, stand up, come on, throw your hand up You got the feeling, jump up, touch the ceiling Mugs, let the funk flow, someone talk junk, yo Bust him in his eye, take that punk's whole feeling Funky, amps in the trunk, eh? Got more rhymes than this cops at a Dunkin' Donut shop, sure enough, I got pop From the kids on the hill, plus my mom and my pop Came to get down, came to get down. So get out your seat, everybody. Jump around. Everybody jump around. Everybody jump around. Everybody Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand and you want to support the show. We truly, absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it, and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, We really do appreciate you. Uh, With kisses and smooches, Peter and Aaron. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>